This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. Today is Thursday, November the 16th. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my right, oh, back in studio, that is Ryan Shumpert, and of course, the one, the only, Jack Foster across the table. Good morning to you both. Ryan, welcome back in. We missed you last week. Thanks, yeah. Uh, appreciate you guys holding it down while I was gone, and uh, also... More importantly, oh, oh. holding it down in Columbia. Oh, we held it down. We we stood on business, okay? We, we held it down, baby, right here in the studio and over in Columbia. Well, you had a nice little trip yourself. How was everything with that? Good. Some travel uh, issues, but nothing nothing too crazy. So yeah. an, an enjoyable trip. Watched some uh, horrible Thursday night football at Soldier Field, which was go. fun. Hey. And uh, made it to Madison for Thursday a Thursday night football is all game. horrible. What are, you, what are you offended by here? It was a fine game. It was a close game. Yeah. I don't know if it was a good game. Yeah. I mean, it was Two bad teams in a close game is not, uh, it is wasn't not inter- interesting. It wasn't interesting. You can't tell me. No, you can't defend just any Thursday night football game. You can't tell me undrafted Tyson Bajan from Shepard <laughs> outplaying the number one overall pick isn't interesting. The funny thing about Bryce, watching Bryce Young in person. so we Interesting were sitting, watching not in the freezing cold of Chicago. We were sitting in uh, the end zone in the lower bowl. Sick brag. Uh, humble wow. brag. Wow, what a flex. When the Panthers were what driving when the Panthers were driving towards us, you literally couldn't see Bryce Young. He's so <laughs> short. When he was in the pocket, his offensive lineman completely blocked him from our angle. Awesome. And incredible. you couldn't see him until he tried to escape, which had to be about every play because his receivers couldn't get open because they're not good. And O line can't block. And O line can't block. Also so. Also you said you're sitting behind Tyson Bajan's dad, right? No, it wasn't Tyson It Bajan, wasn't. But okay. it was Tyson Bajan relatives and his girlfriend is two two rows in front of gotcha. us. Gotcha. Because yeah. I knew they were gonna show his dad at least a couple yeah. times on the broadcast. But and then when they panned to him, he was like out of his seat. He so was, I was like, oh you got unlucky because yeah. he's like behind the Well section. I think I don't even know where his seat technically was because his dad was over there before the game in front mm. of us. Gotcha. And then he was moving around a lot during the game. Yeah. He seemed like a pacer. Yeah. Yeah. Which is I can only imagine. Redmond Walsh's dad I know was a, a big pacer. He never would watch Redmond pitch. He'd be at the games and he'd just walk around in the concourse when Redmond when Redmond came in, he couldn't watch. That's funny. I, I believe it. I bet there's a lot of pressure and you're you're in there with like all the people, right? With all the fans. There's not yeah. much wiggle room that you have to, you know, go about your business or however you want to go about it. How was the uh Madison, Wisconsin though? How was that game? How's the was the Cole Center? The Cole Center, yep. Uh it was cold. Um but sure. It was good. Yeah, Madison was fun and good uh, environment there. Obviously, they had a football game on Saturday. Lost to Northwestern. I think their fifth straight loss. So, football team struggling. The basketball team got killed by Providence. So, I think they're kind of down bad right now in Madison. Yeah. But uh, it was a, a cool environment and a, a cool place to go go watch a game in Madison. Not that we spent a ton of time there, but super cool in the time we did. Yeah, you get to check it off the bucket list as well. For I think, sure. I think it's safe to say that they're mad in Madison. Ah, uh, yeah. very nice. Yes, Jack, you and I, uh, it felt like we went around the world. Now, we did it in a little bit less than 80 days. We did it in about three. Uh, but we, we certainly hit all the travel spots as well. Uh, you and I had it headed up to Columbia, stopped in Washington first, then over to Columbia, then over to Charlotte, then back to Knoxville. It was quite the trip. How are you doing? Feeling back? Feeling good and everything like that? Yeah, doing great. Um, it's been a great week back and, you know, Next couple weeks are in Knoxville, so that's nice. Oh, I can't explain. <laughs> I can't possibly explain how nice it is not to leave for 
I mean, a good three, what, four-week stretch coming up, it, it, it's a good bit. It's no, good bit it's basketball oh, in North Carolina about? you're going to in, North like, two Carolina. weeks. So I get wrecked. <laughs> yeah, okay. Less than okay, two okay, weeks, that's actually. That's worth it, though. 13 that's days. That's worth it. I, I knew that something How far was is on Chapel Hill? Uh, about five hours. That's not yeah. bad. I've, I've been there before. Um, it was for a lacrosse tournament back in my youth days. Fun fact. Did you win? So I'm excited to go back. I don't know. It was too long ago. But maybe. Maybe not. My, uh, I went to Chapel Hill for the regional in 2019 baseball, and I was driving all the way back to Nashville after. It was eight hours. I think I left the morning after they got eliminated in a night game, and I got a speeding ticket like 25 minutes into an eight-hour drive, oh, which is just tough way to set the tone for, for a trip. Yeah, that's that's real bad. That's almost like uh, getting in a fight and headlocking a, another player in the yeah. association in the first 60 seconds of an NBA game. You're just like, oh, oh, I didn't well, realize. it's probably not going to go well from here. I didn't realize that was 60 seconds into the game. That I, was incredible. I think, don't, don't quote me on it, but I think it was like, I think it was one of those like, pre-planned fights you know like something carried over from the last game they knew it was going to happen kind of like when you just in hockey when they just drop gloves right when the right when the 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 puck hits the rink but uh anyways guys we're about five minutes in so let's go ahead and flip the script going to be talking a little bit about georgia uh georgia and tennessee coming up this saturday from neyland stadium but first uh ryan any kind of recap from from the last game jack and i got to talk about it a little bit on the podcast we got to talk a little bit uh on the stand-up your thoughts, any, any kind of big takeaways that have carried over throughout the week? Well, obviously it was really bad. I mean, I think that's the... <laughs> and you wrote about that. So. That's the given. Um, I think the two things that I kind of left left that game with, and the micro one I'll keep short because it was just, you know, involving that game, was the fact that Tennessee, as bad as they played for a full half, they, were, they still had every chance to win. Like, sure. Obviously they had a chance to take control of the game before half. They would have scored... Um, and then even after their horrible end of the first half, they were down by, what was it, six or seven? Um, 13-7, yeah. 13-7, yeah. It, it got the ball to start the second half. So they were, as bad as they played, they still had so many opportunities. And I think in the macro, which kind of goes to that point a little bit, Tennessee's lost three games this year. All three games, second they got hit with adversity, they just folded. Yeah. Uh, absolutely no response, no fight. And, you know, I don't know what, the long, long-term takeaway is from that, but that's certainly not an encouraging sign for, I think, the program as a whole and is particularly strange just given how much Josh Eiple has talked about how he likes this team and he likes their approach and preparation each week. It Obviously, we know this team has flaws, but that's something that feels inexcusable or maybe not inexcusable, but a really big issue and something... Something you wouldn't expect from you know a team that Josh Heupel you know has claimed to, to like so much and like their approach, you would think that's something that they could have gotten fixed after Florida, um, and it wouldn't have spiraled the way it has. Yeah, to, into the Alabama yeah, and, and Missouri games. And I think it, yeah, like like you're saying, you're bringing up those games. I think it's a trend, and, and oh, that's, yeah. that's the most worrisome part of the season to me is that you know they just haven't been able to fix that as it's gone on on the road, and and they played fine at Kentucky, and Kentucky's a little different. You know, obviously the worst team. If you combine environment and team, it, it was the easiest setup of the bunch, probably. But yeah, Florida, second half Alabama, Missouri, just when they get hit with adversity, they can't respond. And I do want to push back on something I think I said after the game on our podcast, Rick. I thought about it, and this isn't the worst loss of Josh Eiple's career. No, I think it's, it's not. Definitely top three, maybe top two. I, I struggle with Florida or Missouri. 
as far as two, but South Carolina still won. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it yeah. has to be. So I, I will revert on that. I think it was just the, you know, just being in the moment and it, the way that second half went, it's like was kind of shocking just how quickly it unraveled. But South Carolina is still worse. Even though Tennessee put up 38 points, it's still worse. Yeah, you know, I, I was doing a radio hit uh, yesterday and somebody had asked me, you know, or they just kind of alluded to it, it being a highly disappointing season for Tennessee if they end up with an 8-4 and four record. And, you know, I, I kind of pushed back on that, but I said, you know, but but there are concerns, and the big concern that is exactly what Ryan brought up a second ago. It's just that kind of these losses haven't been a a game winning drive from the opposition or a, a tight back and forth battle in the fourth quarter. There are games that, that got out of out of hand for Tennessee, and I think that's kind of one of the big takeaways to take from this season. Uh, but yeah, going back to the Missouri game and just kind of looking at it throughout the week, it was. You know, Tennessee could not necessarily finish drives. They had a couple of chances either in Missouri territory when things fumbled or, or you know, you, you hit you just hit the downs and, and everything like that. But on the flip side of the ball, they just couldn't get Missouri off the field when they needed to, right? Those third downs were killer throughout the game. So I think that's kind of the common trend, and, and that's what you felt after the game in the immediacy. Um, but, yeah, certainly a, 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 a tough pill to swallow for for this Tennessee team that really had a kind of a nine and three approach ahead of them, but now it's trend t- trending towards eight and four uh, with the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs coming to town. Georgia throttled Ole Miss last weekend in Athens. Yeah, just bad. throttled fifty two seventeen. The script was good though for Ole Miss. It was what it was fourteen fourteen at one point, yeah, wasn't it? It got sideways in the yeah. second half, which yeah, isn't yeah. surprising. I did. After getting very little sleep, getting home from Madison, I did go to bed pretty early and not watch much of that game, but not surprising. Yeah, they also, Anybody who thought Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin was going to win that game is that was out of their gourd. I yes. guess they kind of pulled away in the second quarter to take a two-score lead at half, and then they outscored them 24-3 to three in the second half. Yeah, it, the second half was, was, it was just complete domination. I was watching maybe a sports center or I don't know, something on ESPN, maybe it was McAfee or something because they were in Athens and they had Booger McFarland on there. This was on Friday, I guess, and they was talking about how, you know, it feels like Lane Kiffin is due for one of these. Can you really be due when you've never beaten a top ten team in your career? I mean, well, maybe I guess it makes you due, right? I, well, I guess you're, but to be due, you got to prove that you can do something. Well, I think he was maybe due for the LSU win. You know, yes, because that's the biggest win he's had at Ole Miss. Right? Yes, yeah. well, a top twenty five win, which he's had some top twenty five wins in his career. Yeah. That's but like I, say, I see what you're saying. Is, that's like saying my beloved Furman Paladins are like due to beat an SEC team. <laughs> yeah, sure, because they've never done it. I guess they're due, but it's hh th- totally show me they're yeah, capable also, of hey, that. Tennessee's due to win a national championship. Yeah, you're yeah. also yeah. Tennessee's due to win to a national top. Like, like he, he's due to beat the number one ranked team in the nation, uh, uh, which which Georgia now is in all three major publications after jumping Ohio State. Uh, with that win over Ole Miss, so Georgia number one team across the land. Yeah, what. What really stood out to me in this game is Georgia hasn't really run the football all that well this year, and you know they've been more of a passing team, and they just don't have that first, second round caliber running back that, that they normally have, and you know they have for a couple of seasons, but it definitely has been a trend this year. But against Ole Miss, they were able to run the football very well. Kendall Milton, you know, he showed out nine for one twenty-seven and two. Dejan Edwards had two touchdowns, uh, good yards per carry, mark with five. So. That was something I really took away from Georgia, especially considering what Cody Schrader did against Tennessee last weekend. That's a storyline I'm watching. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I totally agree. Uh, and seeing how Tennessee handles things, one of the other things that they're going to have to handle coming up this Saturday is the return of Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers missed two games with that uh, with the ankle surgery that he had in the middle of the season. 
It didn't even matter that he missed two games. He still leads Georgia in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns. He is still such a dominant force in the middle of the field. That's going to be something that I think Tennessee absolutely has to handle. I think that Brock Bowers could, you know, could be in play for a big game like he is in any game of his Georgia career. Certainly, and you know, Ladd McConkey missed a couple games earlier, early in the season too. But I mean, he's still 180 yards behind him, so it doesn't even—it's not even like that makes a huge difference. Brock Bowers is the <laughs> most talented; he's the best offensive player on the Georgia team. He might be the best player on the Georgia team, just yeah. period. And I think again that when you talk about coming off a week, I mean, Jack just talked about it after what Cody Schrader did to Tennessee. It's fresh on. Fresh on the mind. It's also fresh on the mind how bad Tennessee's linebackers were in coverage uh, last week against Missouri, and that was more in the case of Missouri getting Schrader involved in the pass game and less with the tight ends. But those guys are going to be asked to do a lot, uh, and probably because of that, you're, Tennessee's going to play a lot of zone defense. And you know, Tennessee's pass defense has been pretty bad this year when they've played zone defense, and obviously they've had to play more and more of that as Kamal Haddon's been out the last few weeks. So uh, it's going to be a great challenge and. This is certainly, you know, Brock Bowers is a guy that really won towards the option game earlier this year. He's a guy that can completely change the game, and I think when you talk about what a weapon he is to try to defend and Georgia having some good receivers around him, it really emphasizes the need for Tennessee to go back to being really good in run defense. If Tennessee wants to slow down Georgia's offense, they don't have to necessarily make him one-dimensional but Georgia cannot move the ball on the ground as effectively as they will through the air because Georgia's going to be able to throw the ball against this Tennessee defense. Exactly. Yeah. Coming up this Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on CBS. Number one, Georgia taking on number 18, Tennessee, right here in Neyland Stadium. Looks like Georgia's around a 10-point favorite. I think maybe maybe it's a half-point difference, so no matter the sports book that you're looking at. But right here, according to ESPN, it's a 10-point favorite for the Dogs. Ryan, I know you just kind of mentioned talking about Georgia's offense a little bit and what Tennessee is going to have to do on the defensive side of the ball, but just kind of to you, what are the main things that Tennessee has to do in this game to stay competitive? I think it's going to be tough tough to project any kind of win for Tennessee in this game, but what are the ways that they can stay competitive, hopefully not let this thing kind of slip out, again, like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, as these losses kind of sort of have this season so far? Well, I think... You know, to win or to stay competitive, I think the first thing is since he's got to score under opening drive, and they got to get seven on the first drive of the game. They've been good this season on script. Um, they've had the last last year. I guess they got a field goal on that opening drive against Georgia last year. They had good field positions. Georgia fumbled it. Um, but two years ago, they scored on their opening drive. This offense, for all its flaws, has still been really good uh, on opening drives of, of games. Tennessee's had good scripts, and against Georgia, they're going to have to do that. So I think that's the first thing when you talk about it. The second thing, you got to find a way to, you know, either run the ball or somehow win some one-on-ones on the outside. And I, I would lean towards running the ball being more likely, which is a crazy thing to say against Georgia. But yeah, Georgia's been more gettable in the run D. Yeah. They have been, and Georgia's corners have been so good, and Tennessee's receivers have are obviously even more banged up and. You know, it doesn't. They don't have a lot of. Obviously, Squirrel White's a, a dynamic player, but besides that, there's not a whole lot of dynamic playmakers at receiver for Tennessee. The thing that would worry me for Tennessee in a running game, in, in my com- conversation with uh, Palmer Tomes of Dogs HQ, is he talked about Georgia's been vulnerable running it on the perimeter against them, but not really running it right at him inside. Well, Tennessee's whole run game now they run a bunch of different concepts to run the ball between the tackles, but it's. 
a lot of running the ball between the tackles, and it's not running the ball outside at all. It's not like Missouri that runs, you know, I don't remember what the percentage is, but like 60% of the run plays are stretch plays. So I think because of that, you can expect to see a lot of screen passes, uh, a lot of those quick screens to Jalen Wright that have been a staple of the offense anyway, but I think that's going to be the way Tennessee tries to exploit some of those weaknesses maybe Georgia traditionally has in the run game, and that'll just be something I'm curious about is how does Tennessee run it uh, against a team that has been more vulnerable than they have in the past when they've been the best run defense in the country but has still been really stout between the tackles. Do you think Tennessee goes right back to Jalen Wright being a just – not that he hasn't been a workhorse in any game this season, but just as the main guy, or do you think they kind of try to get Samson more involved this weekend? No, I think Wright's the main guy. I mean, again, it's like you said, what well, he hasn't had a game where he's had more than 15 carries, has he? Right, but I just did, you know, the fumble. We've seen them yeah. go away from Wright because of that in the past. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, Jerry Mack talked yeah, to the, the media. Yeah, he did not sound too. And I think he was right. Like that, the fumble that they lost, like it wasn't a terrible loss fumble. I mean, it was terrible in the sense of how the time that it happened and where Tennessee was on the field. But it wasn't like Wright was being lackadaisical with the ball. I mean, it was just kind of a he's being tackled, guy comes in, sticks his helmet on the ball. Like that's you see guys fumble that way all the time. So no, I think they ride with him and they I don't know, they need to. If they're gonna run the ball between tackles, it's gonna be Jalen Wright. It's not gonna be Jabari Small and Dylan yeah. Sampson. Yeah. Um as good as Dylan Sampson is, he's still to me not a great runner between the tackles right now. Um and, and Wright is still has the best vision and the best chance to run through some arm tackles and stuff like that. So I think it I think it has to be him and the way Jerry Mack talked about it doesn't make me think that they've lost a lot of confidence in Wright or anything. You know, you talk about Wright, and we talk about kind of his fumble from from last week against Missouri. That's another key to me to stay competitive in this game and to really not let this thing balloon in the second half, which obviously Georgia has shown the ability to do to opponents, and Tennessee has shown the ability to do, to kind of get done themselves, right? I think that turnovers are, are a key part of that, as always. I think that Tennessee starts turning the ball over even just once or twice. I think that gives Georgia an opportunity to take advantage of, and I think they have every opportunity to take advantage of those times. So that's another key to me. If you want to stay competitive, have to take care of the ball. Maybe have to get a little bit risky and force a turnover on the other side, but certainly for the offensive side, can't play lackadaisical, can't play with, with, you know, just kind of this, this innate sense of, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for there was, but can't turn the ball over. No, absolutely not. It, and that's the thing when you're playing the top team in the country in any game, you can't give them more opportunities to hurt you. And honestly, Tennessee's probably going to have to take some chances. So, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they can't just play their game and probably win. They're going to have to take some chances. They're going to have to be some breaks that maybe go their way to beat Georgia. That's just the fact. It, w- it wasn't the case last year, but with this Tennessee team, that's the case. Definitely, and that's what I was going to say was Tennessee, and it's right off the same point y'all are talking about. Tennessee needs needs to be good on fourth down in this game. Like the yeah the margins and, and stuff like that. Tennessee's going to have to whether it's turnover battle, whether it's red zone offense, red zone defense, whether it's just that fourth down percentage on both sides uh, of the ball. They're going to have to be good. They're going to have to be good yeah. in special teams. Like if they're going to. Tennessee's going to make this a competitive game and find a way to pull an upset. Those are areas they're all going to have to be good because Tennessee is just limited in what in what they can do. I mean, they've had some certainly some big busts this year in games that which what we talked about where they've completely fallen apart. But there's really no boom with this team. There's no just next gear of oh man they can turn it on and everything can click for them. That. There's not really that because the passing game's not very good. Game script and, has to really play in their favor. Yeah, yes. Joe Milton's limited, and Tennessee's 
two or three best receivers or at least two or three most dynamic receivers are, are both out. So you're asking guys like Chaz Nimrod and Caleb Webb who were, and Ramel Keaton who were solid players. The first two can you know become good players in time, um, but they're not guys that are going to give a lot of challenges to a, a stout Georgia secondary and kind of that same point. They'll be well down the list of best receivers that Georgia has faced this season. Yeah, there's not a lot of wiggle room, is there? And, and I think to that point – and to what you guys especially are saying right there, it, it's just important for, for Tennessee to kind of keep the foot on the gas, but to do so in a in a productive way. Um, I don't really know where that thought is is leading off to. Well, here's what I'll say. It, if you're inside the 25 and it's fourth and five, maybe fourth and four or shorter, go for it every time. Like, that would be my mentality if I'm Tennessee. Like, you have to be aggressive. You have to be that kind of aggressive. You can't settle for field goals. You're not going to win. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's, and this is you shouldn't have to worry about this. But when you're talking about a team that I don't, know, I don't want to throw it or throw around the word quit because I don't know if that's the right word. I'm not polished enough of a football eye to be able to truly tell about effort. And Josh Heupel hasn't seemed too upset with the effort in the second half of these games. But when you're talking about a team that has struggled to respond to adversity, that makes it tough because it almost feels like you have to play to get points in some situations early in the game. Now, I agree with you. You're probably right. You're going to have to score touchdowns to win. But the way things have spiraled on Tennessee, I almost think early in the game they're going to have to play to hang around and to play to make try to make the game close, which is not conducive to them winning, honestly. Well, and, yeah, I just – I mean, to be honest, I don't know if they're going to be able to stop them. Like – They haven't really stopped anybody since Kamal yeah, has gotten hurt. That's yeah. kind of my thing, right, is like I, I, I think that – you know, I'm going to be really interested to see how Tennessee plays from behind once again because I almost think in this game, whether anybody's admitting it, I, you know, on this podcast I think we can talk about it, they're probably going to be playing from behind early into this game. I think that's what kind of Ryan's point earlier was saying in that, you know, hey, it's really important to get a touchdown on the board quickly so that you're not, but I think odds are is that you probably are. How is Tennessee going to be handling that from an early point in the game? How are they going to be kind of, again, using the 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 drives that they have in order to kind of fight against that that lead that Georgia will likely have at that point? So I'm really interested to see what this play calling is going to look like in a game that, again, you probably expect to be behind at some point earlier in the game, maybe against, you know, maybe in the Missouri game plan or something. They're like, hey, we think we can be competitive. It could go a couple of different ways. I think that Georgia's obviously going to send the dogs out early how is Tennessee going to be able to respond to those in the first half of the game? Yeah, I don't necessarily think Tennessee will be behind early. Like, I could see Tennessee getting off to a good start in this game. And, look, everybody has last week on both ends fresh in their mind how good Georgia looked and how bad Tennessee looked. They don't have all those tall buildings in Las Vegas for no reason, man. These people know what they're doing, the odds makers. And it's a 10-point spread, and I'm, you know, I don't have it in front of me. I'm sure the public's going to be all over Georgia uh, from that standpoint which makes me think this game could be competitive and you know I'm struggling to put together how exactly the formula that that is but I think the two things or maybe the, the two things that point in Tennessee's favor is being at home granted only two road games for Georgia this year earlier in the season they were really bad at Auburn they played bad against Vanderbilt now granted Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt they could have slept a walk and won that game second part Goes back to what I've said since the summer. Tennessee's best chance to win this game is for it not to be for the SECs, for Georgia to be able to sleepwalk or to kind of be sleepwalking in. And everything that could possibly lead to that has happened. I mean, yeah. Georgia has clinched the East. Tennessee looked horrific last week. Tennessee's not even, wasn't even close to making the East really competitive this season. And 
on top of all that, you know, and I'm this is not how Georgia will be thinking about it. I'm not even sure how important this game is to Georgia. Like Georgia wins this game and loses to Alabama. I don't think they make the college football playoff. Now we'll see how everything unfolds. Tennessee loses this game and beats Alabama. Georgia. They're going to make the college yeah. football playoff. So in some ways, I'm not even sure how important this game no. is going to be to Georgia for their playoff hopes. Now, of course, that's not how they're going to be looking at it, but I think there's a lot that points to Georgia sleepwalking. So I say all that combined with the fact that Tennessee has been good on script this year. I think all those factors could lead to Tennessee getting off to a fast start in this game and getting ahead early. Now I struggle to see how they can sustain that for 60 minutes. But to me, that's the path to making this a competitive game for four quarters is Tennessee getting ahead early and Georgia not coming out with a lot of fire and the Neyland Stadium crowd being able to jump on them a little bit. No, you're absolutely right. And so much of college football is just getting up for games, right? And just being more fired up and, you know, just having the will to win. I mean, we saw it last week. Hangover effect... The hangover factor in games, I should say, this year has been so real so yeah. many times. So we saw it with Oklahoma State last week, yeah, losing 45-3 to to UCF after winning Bedlam and being in prime position to make the Big 12 title game, which they still may. But still, that they were obviously hungover from the win. You can be hungover from a win or a loss. Maybe Georgia's a little hungover from a win, and Tennessee has nothing to lose. And that's honestly a good thing for a team in this spot at home. Nothing to lose. I mean, you're going to throw everything at Georgia. And that's what I'm saying. Go for it. Be aggressive. Yeah. Because if you actually, in my mind, if Tennessee falls behind double digits, I don't care what time of the game it is, they're not going to win. No. I, they have not shown the ability to have the offense that can, you know, Two scores, back. even. I mean, obviously, yeah. most of the time, two scores is double digits. But, yeah, no, it, it feels like if it becomes a two-score game, Tennessee against just about anybody, and certainly Georgia, it does not have what it takes to come back and win. And honestly, even in the... Josh Heupel era, like all three years, the Pitt game they were down ten early, right? But in then the first they, half, but yeah. then they made it very close at half, or they even took the lead at half. I think I they believe. made it close at half. I don't think they took the lead. And I know they were down. They Jimmy Callaway yeah, screen pass. I know they were down to A and M at half too, but that was always a tight game, so don't really count that. But I mean, I just don't think Tennessee can come back from that, especially against Georgia. Well, so goes, they're going to have to keep it close or be leading at the, at the beginning. It goes back to the stat we talked about, and it still holds true that win over. A&M is the only game Josh Heibel's won in his coaching career, head coaching career, when he was down at half. Yeah. So they were ahead of Pitt at half then? No, because they lost. Oh, you're talking about the game they won against Pitt? Yeah, yeah. Oh, in okay. Pittsburgh. Yes, they are. Where I, that was my, I was thinking of the game in Knoxville. No, not before. No, yeah. You're, yeah I'm talking about like comeback wins in Heibel's right. career. Because I think they were up by three, and then Tyler Barron had that strip sack where Slovis got hurt, and I think they kicked another field goal to maybe go up six. Or maybe it was tied, and they went up But that three. was probably the largest deficit they've still erased. I think they were down 10 in that game. And I don't think they've erased a deficit larger than that and then won the game is what I was saying. But, yeah. Ryan, I really like what you said a second ago, just talking about, you know, obviously, the... And 17-10 in that game, both. There you go. Uh, just kind of talk, laying everything out in the, in the path to, to, you know, especially in the early in the game for both Tennessee and Georgia... And I agree. The only thing that concerns me is just that I think with this Georgia team, it's hard for me to look at games earlier in the season and, and kind of compare that to where this team is right now. Yeah, even very, going back to the true. Ole Miss game, that's the first time all season they've had Lad McConkie, uh, Amarius Mims, and Brock Bowers all on the field together. Like This is a Georgia team that's not only finding their footing and finding their stride, especially against good competition here late in the season, they're getting healthy. right? They have all of their offensive pieces back together for the first time this season, and you saw what they were able to do, just obliterate Ole Miss. Obviously, that game being at home and getting to kind of feed off of that crowd energy. 
but that's kind of just that that is what concerns me and I think that's the that's the thing that keeps rattling around in my brain is that this is just a, a different team right now this is a team who knows where they're headed and, and I that's not to disagree with your your point at all I think that actually is a really good thought right and that's not something I'd necessarily thought about earlier in the week leading into this game how it probably doesn't mean much, right, to their college football playoff hopes. The SEC championship is the real game that they're kind of concerned about, but at the same time, they got a full loaded roster, uh, and, and they know where they're going. They know what the kind of football they need to be playing to get there, uh, and so that does concern me that the injury reports are, are coming back in Georgia's favor as that whole offense kind of figures out their footing. And then like we've been alluding to and mentioning this whole podcast so far, Tennessee certainly has the injury bug as Dante Thornton will be out for the remainder of the regular season. Um and so on and so forth with some of those injuries. So certainly a lot of storylines to follow in this game. What have we missed? What, what what have you guys hit that, or what do you guys want to hit that we maybe not have so far? I don't think I have anything else. I'll just second your thought. I think that's a really good point. And one that I think is easy to overlook, and I don't even know if I've said it on here, but I know I said it you know, to people earlier in the season when Georgia was struggling. It was just Georgia was going to figure it out. Yeah. It, this yeah. was not... And it was kind of the same way for Tennessee. I think before last week we would have said Tennessee's gotten a lot better over the course of the season too. But this was a game that if you wanted to get Georgia this year, getting them early was the yeah. opportunity. And it worked out well for Georgia. I mean, the three hardest games on their schedule were all in November when you talk about Ole Miss, Missouri, and Tennessee. And truly back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Yeah, and I mean, Missouri is good, but you know none of those games were particularly hard, especially when you consider the fact that Missouri and Ole Miss were at home. So... Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and certainly, you know, I think between going on the road and the fact that Georgia, you know, we talked about it, I guess, two weeks ago, maybe, Georgia having played, this being the third game at the end of a stretch of important games is, again, a lot of the exterior factors play, to, play into Tennessee's advantage yeah, here. that but is you, true. When you actually look at what's happened on the field and how these te- two teams look coming in, it's hard to be optimistic about Tennessee's chances to make this a four-quarter game. Yeah, I agree. Are we all going to be there on Saturday? Jack, yeah. you, you gave yep. us a thumbs up yesterday. Mm-hmm. Tremendous. Should be fun. Should be the, what, second-to-last 330 game of the season as Vanderbilt is also the 330 game. Last Just CBS game ever. For Tennessee? Yep. Tennessee. Oh, that's right. I saw End of an era. Who, who tweeted Bill. Bill tweeted that out, and then I saw your quote tweet over it, Ryan. And, uh, yeah, wow, that's... And an iconic venue with a uh, with a big broadcaster, and all good things must come to an end. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad. It's it's kind of crazy to think about, but these uh, these are the times. It'll be the ESPN three thirty game next year. Uh, I think they're still playing the number one SEC game most weeks in the afternoon. I think still the plan, um, but it'll be ESPN, not CBS broadcasting. Yep. As always, we'll have our game predictions out on Friday. Um, a little bit earlier than it might have been last week. I'll go ahead and admit, hand up. That might have been, uh, <laughs> might have been on me. We were in the car on the way to the airport, and I said, "Oh, I haven't done my predictions," so I had to do it from the uh, from gate twelve of uh, McGee Tyson Airport. So we'll have those out a little bit earlier on Friday. Um, as a as a little tease that way, though, I don't know how you guys are feeling. I I, I, mean, I see this as a I, I well. To me, it's more about just can Tennessee keep it competitive? Yeah, yeah, is yeah. this thing going to get away? Uh, my initial feeling is it's going to get away. Uh, I, I I struggle to see who's going to beat Georgia for the rest of the year. I, I I pick Georgia versus the field when it comes to the national championship picks. We were talking about it before the before we started this broadcast. Like I I I, I 
don't see Georgia losing, even though it's possible. Alabama's playing good football right now, and then of course you got to get to the playoffs and beat a couple good teams there. Uh, but I, I do think that's that. I do think that this one gets away from Tennessee. Uh, but we'll see how I'm feeling about it tomorrow morning when we write that article. Yeah, no, it was a tough break for you. I mean, on on Thursday we were talking about it, and I had, I had written, I, you know, not to uh, toot my own horn. I was the I was up. the first person to have no. my my prediction. In, Ryan as stood usual. on business with his prediction. I, stood, I said I'm picking Missouri, or I think I sent it, and then Jack went and looked, said, "Oh wow, picking Missouri," and Rick said, "Oh, I'm, I'm going to pick Missouri too." Yeah, because that was my plan. And he did, and then he didn't. He, Whoa! He cowered. That, oh! He cowered to the pressure. Oh! A pick in the balls because he's a homer. Oh, if if I, I I will I will go back and find it. Brian absolute Brian guilted me out of it. He said I didn't guilt said, you out of it. He said I wanted to be the only one that picked Missouri because I wanted to be the only one that was right. And I was like, well, you know what? Okay, fine. I I I give you. This is so sad. This is sad and it's that's wrong. not sad. That's exactly what happened. I said no. I said dang. I wanted to be, but you know, Rick. Apparently, Rick's smart enough to know that Missouri's going to win the game like I am. That's not how it was. No, that's that's exactly, not how it was inferred. That's exactly that's how. Not how it was that's inferred. Exactly that was how. don't pick Missouri because I want to be the only one no. out of the four picking Missouri. That's, I didn't even. That's how I broke that don't put, don't put the words don't pick Missouri in my mouth because that was never said by Hold me. On. That was never said. We got to find it now. I don't want you to pick Missouri, Maybe. was said. But don't Jack, pick Missouri, don't, don't was look never it up. said. Don't look it up. No. We don't need the hard yeah. evidence behind Rick it. We doesn't, don't need the hard evidence. R- r- the last thing Rick needs is facts to step into this conversation. All right. <laughs> Bring up the facts. <laughs> Bring up the facts. I said, can't believe Ryan picked Missouri. And then, um, hold on, I got to sift through some other things. And Rick said, I will also be picking Missouri. Thank you. And then Ryan said, dang, I wanted to be the only one. I went back and forth all week, but I landed on my sentiment in the final paragraph. Blah, blah, blah. Rick said, you never know what Missouri will do, so don't jump to conclusions or anything. I said that? Yeah. And then, what I was uh, talking about. You were already back. You were already backpedaling. That's not you were true. Back, you were backpedaling so quick. And then, and then you guys true. started talking about Drinkwitz, and then that was it. Yeah. That's that's all that. Uh, I mean, that was it, was, all it was. Willie Martinez saw this Rick Butler guy backpedaling no, 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 and no, no, saying, no, "I'm still arguing the first." <laughs> we need to get this guy. We need to get this guy in the secondary. I was turning my head at least. I was looking. Yeah. I was looking where the where the shots were going to come. He said, from. "We got Are some injuries. This guy can backpedal at a high high level." That is that was, just, that was that's excellent. ridiculous. Um, ridiculous. I want to get. We need to touch on this for just for a minute. That when's Tony Presser? Uh, ten forty-five. Yes. Yeah, so oh, like so we need to minutes. recap about. We got about five minutes before we need to wrap this up. All right, one minute thoughts on Drinkwitz. We stand on business comment. I just felt like uh, it was kind of a how do you do, fellow kids, <laughs> kids thing. <laughs> See, you know I thought I mean? it was a shot as saying we stand on morals and w- we have integrity from last year. Like because I think he thinks that Tennessee is running up the score. Uh, I think that. I, th- I honestly think that was the sentiment. For yeah, no, I, yeah, it might have been. I think that's right. I, but I think that Ryan's also right here in saying that just like you, you're using a phrase that <laughs> like a lot of people don't get. It, it, it's weird. But I do think that you're right, Jack. Like I, I think that Eli Drinkwitz has problems with Tennessee. Uh-huh. It dates back to the wins that Jeremy Pruitt had over him, right? Yeah. That he publicly called out to be vacated. It goes back to Josh Heupel scoring twenty, you know, sixty-two and sixty-four points on him the last two years. We know, right, from from watching every media press conference, we know from being at every Josh Howell press conference, there wasn't anything that was disrespectful that was said last week. He didn't take any shots. He didn't set any challenges, nothing like that. So it had to have been something from on the field in the previous years. 
The only thing that I can think of is scoring 60 points in back-to-back weeks, and that comes after Jeremy Pruitt also beat Eli Drinkwitz and the Missouri Tigers. So I think that all those things kind of wrapped up into one. Uh, that was Eli Drinkwitz saying, fine, you want to run up the score the last two years? We'll run up the score on Saturday. It but he didn't even run up the building. score. But, but I think he was right? trying to say, like, we did it the right way today. Like, we stand on business. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, uh, of course, it's such a weird saying and like has multiple meanings. Yeah, I mean, I guess my my takeaways, I thought it was kind of, I don't know, it's a little front runner ish, which Eli Drinkwitz has kind of done, but you know, whatever. And it was also kind of weird how he just he said it and immediately like went yeah, off in the other. Say, I think the back turn. Yeah. I think the back turn might have been more disrespectful in the moment. Just like I'm not even going to give I, you he, a chance. He to, didn't. He didn't want. The response. I just think he turned because, around. It, it almost like Josh Heibel. It, it almost seemed like just like I don't even I, think. Okay. I, yeah, I, like, honestly, what? don't know if Heibel knows what, the what he said. Yeah. yeah. Like that, I honestly think Heibel could have seen that yesterday. He may not even have seen it and been like, "Oh, he said that." Because if you watch, <laughs> like Heibel's just shaking. And his he probably hand and he probably heard it yesterday. And if he heard it for the first time, it was like, "What did he say?" I don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, all that to say, you know, David Ubbin tweeted this, and it's completely accurate. I mean, it's. To the victor goes the spoils. So I mean, yeah. Missouri. No, he has the right. Missouri what, kicked Tennessee's butt, so they can say credit, whatever they want. That's what Jack wrote in the in the article, which you can go and read and find this video that we're talking about over on rightkitapensider.com. And that's how Jack ended the article. It was like, hey, look, at the end of the day, you you won the game. You get to say whatever you want at the end of the game. Maybe not whatever you want, but you know, <laughs> like like you alluded to, Ryan, to the victor goes the spoils. Gentlemen, I think we stood on our business right here in the studio today recording this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. But more importantly, thank you to the listener for listening along with this show as we get you ready for Saturday's penultimate game of the regular season for the Tennessee Volunteers. Coming up 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, it's going to be number one Georgia taking on number 18 Tennessee right here in Neyland Stadium. As always, if you want to follow Jack, you can do that at Jack Foster Media on Twitter. If you want to follow Ryan, you can do that at rshump00, that's S-C-H-U. MP. And of course, if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler, R-I-C with no K. Otherwise, make sure you're going and checking out Rocky Top Insider each and every day. That's that's RockyTopInsider.com. You can also go at Rocky Top Insider on all different social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Wherever you are, we will see you there as well. But in the meantime, we got two press conferences to go get to. We are talking to Tony Vitello today, also talking to Josh Heupel in his final media appearance of the week before the Vols take on the Dogs right here in Neyland Stadium. So we got to run. Thank you so much for listening to the Press Pass today. We will see you back after the Georgia game for an instant reaction podcast breakdown. Otherwise, be good, have fun, be safe this weekend. For Jack, for Ryan, I'm Rick. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast.